It's Wednesday, July 12th, 2023, and we are going through the book of Deuteronomy on Wednesday night, so turn to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this church that we can come together and study your word. Father, we want to you know, be here to just be together so that we can be better able to go out into this community and just be a part, a good part of this community. And Father, as we get into your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us in it, that we will understand it clearly, and it will help us to do those things that you've called us to do. And Father, we'd like to lift up Lois's friend Barbara to you, uh, that you would be with her, um, just give her a healing touch. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, uh, now what we've been doing is all these different laws or uh, precepts, regulations, all kinds of these uh, different things, instructions for the people before they go into the promised land. And like I said before, you will be talking about a topic, Moses gets on a topic and then he goes right on to something different, then to something different, and then something even more different. And then as you go through, you end up back on one of the topics that he talked about before. And then it seems like he hits topics over and over again. So, Joy mentioned last week that we do learn by repetition. Humans need repetition. Um, Anybody who has been in any kind of sports and you get into muscle memory, you get that through repetition. I can remember um, working at a restaurant when I was in high school and prepping certain food products, whether it be making a, a hand-pressed hamburger patty or cutting fish fillets. I got so good at judging, I could, I could lay these blocks, we had these pound blocks of uh, hamburger that came frozen, and we, we'd thaw it out, and then we'd start making either half pound, uh, or we would do the third pound burgers. But I could lay a, a stack of those things up, and, and eyeball it, and cut it. I didn't have to weigh anything. But you were supposed to weigh every single thing you did. So, I would cut it, and then start making them. I didn't go through the process of weighing them. So when a manager would walk by, are you weighing those things? I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, and I'd put it up on the scale when it would be exactly right. But I hadn't weighed a thing. But I had done it so many times that it was just by repetition, I just knew. I knew. Um, same thing with uh, perception. I can remember cutting the fish fillets you know, you can, ha you can cut a very narrow slice that's really thick, but when you put it on a plate, it doesn't look like much. But you cut them sideways and uh, make it wide but thin, it fills the plate up. It's the same weight, but the perception is, wow, look at how much food I got. So you had to be strategic in the way you presented stuff. So... Uh, 
the way this is being presented to us, we're to be eating this. We want it to be appealing. And if you get this way too much of one topic all at one time, you're going to kind of start zoning out. So this is actually uh, smart by the Holy Spirit. We, we, we shouldn't expect anything less that this is the way it needs to be. And I'm not grouping them up like some people do, and I'm just letting them go the way they are for simplicity's sake, and that's the way it is in the Bible, and I don't want to mess it up. The, Bible, the whole Bible is very important to understand. It's very important that we understand it, but how do you understand it? So many people get it wrong, and it's because they take one little thing out and build a doctrine on that one little thing. They'll take a catchy verse, a verse that means something to them, and they may pull that out, and then they build something on that verse. Instead of taking that verse and then going to all the other places throughout Scripture that is on the same topic and see how it all plays out together. It's, it's like a puzzle, and that's just one piece of the puzzle. You need to find the piece that matches it and you start putting them together, then you see the big picture. So studying your Bible is very much like having a puzzle that you're trying to put together. It's, it's not put together for you. You have to get into it and work, work the puzzle pieces for you to really see it. It's, it's almost written so that just the average person can't figure it out and needs guidance of the Holy Spirit. And each individual person, it's very important that each individual person studies it for themselves. Now, we come together and we uh, have Bible studies and Sunday school classes and preachings and things like that, but that just helps us as a group to do things as a family, but individually each person needs to start getting into the Word and trying to find those puzzle pieces and see what matches. That's why it's so important to, to learn the principle of rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You have to rightly divide it so that uh, you, you keep things in their proper places but see how they connect. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so now we're back at this, uh, this uh, <clears throat> teaching on divorce again, or a, a marriage type thing, marriage and divorce. The, uh, when, this is verse 1 of chapter 24. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Now, what does that mean? There's all kind. You could, you could, by the time we get to the New Testament, the Pharisees had come up with almost anything that they could write a bill of divorcement for to give to a wife to send her on her way. So this uncleanness... Um, should mean some type of sexual uh, impurity. But could it be, she's got bad breath. I mean, what, what, you can put anything to this if you wanted to. 
Then let him write her a bill of divorcement. That was important that he had to write it out. Well, a lot of men, they're like, I'm not going through writing anything. I'm just going to have to keep her. So you had, to put, you had to put forth effort to do something. You have to come up with a reason. There has to be a reason. And then there has to be a formal writing of a bill of divorcement. And give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Wow. Now, it's, it's really difficult to find this in the New Testament. But it's in the book of Moses. And humans, leading up to, to and we do, we do it today, but I'm talking about leading up to the time of Jesus being on this earth, walking on this earth, they had taken the law of Moses and they had made it out to, to where it would benefit them the best. All the so-called religious leaders who knew the word, they used it for themselves and to gain selfish desires. They used it and manipulated it, used it for the wrong reasons. And we still have people today there's, there are churches out there and preachers out there, TV preachers and all kinds of people who will use the Word of God for selfish gain. And, we, and we've seen the corruption. And we, we're warned about it in the Bible that that's going to happen. Verse 3, And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in, in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Okay, now in the New Testament, you will see a place where I don't think it's actual, I don't know if they've actually consummated the marriage, but it was like the betrothal period, and you decide during that time period that you don't want her to be your wife then you can send her away. Find, you should find something before the actual marriage takes place, uh, the finalization of it. But I, I, I'm trying, I should have wrote it down, but there was a, there was a time where you, you, you remember it's, he, you send her away and she doesn't get remarried and she shouldn't get remarried, but she can come back to you. Because if you read this, it's different than that situation because here she actually became another man's wife. And the, 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 the one that you might be thinking of, if you're familiar with the New Testament, it's she, you just sent her away, but it, it never says anything about her becoming the wife of another man and that if she does marry, she needs to come back to her original husband. Well, that sounds like a contradiction if you read this and then you go read that. But it's, but it's not. Okay, now, it's, it, it's something about 
the man who had her before as a wife, if she goes to be with another person after, after that, it would be defiling to them, to him, if she came back to him. But it's pretty obvious that she can marry again with that bill of divorcement. And then if that latter husband gave her a bill of divorcement, then she would be able to marry again. Or if he died, she can marry again. But don't, you cannot go back to the original husband. Okay, well, <clears throat> that is that another deterrent to be very, very sure about this? Don't get rid of her because once she's gone, then you're not allowed to ever take her back. So if you're making a mistake by getting rid of her, then you really need to think this through. Is that the reason? I'm, I'm kind of just speculating on some of these things because um, some of this stuff is kind of hard to figure out for sure, especially when you go to the New Testament and you see how Jesus responds to this. <clears throat> All right, so we've read the first four verses. So now we need to go to uh, Matthew 19, and I'll show you what Jesus said about it. <clears throat> so the Pharisees, they know all about this, right? They know all about what Moses said, and then they have uh, worked the word for themselves. And now they're asking Jesus, in verse 3 of, of uh, Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That's what they had turned it into. So, for whatever reason we want, is it lawful? <clears throat> I think if they would have asked him what it actually says in Deuteronomy, he may have responded a little differently. But they had ch their minds have changed this over time. They have changed it. And he says, for any cause... Or, uh, and he answered, Jesus answered and said unto them, Have ye not read, <laughs> they should know better, <clears throat> that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. That's a good verse for today. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. They were two, but now they're one. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Asunder means separated. You take a knife and cut something in half, you have cut it asunder. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. He's talking to them, and he said, the hardness of your hearts. Moses wrote this a long, long time ago, but he said, because the hardness of your hearts suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doeth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, 
If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save or accept they to whom it is given. And then we, this is something that we talked about uh, recently, that verse 12. And I can't remember if it was on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, but um, I, I kind of... Uh, mentioned all of this but didn't actually read the verse and it says for there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb and there are some eunuchs and a eunuch is someone who has no is a, a man who has no sexual desire <clears throat> which were made eunuchs of men like Daniel he when he was taken into captivity into Babylon he was made to be a eunuch by other men by his captors, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, whether that is, you know, you have prayed and made a commitment not to marry and not to be involved in those things, and you've committed yourself and you're able to do that through the leading of the Holy Spirit, or if you get more drastic in that and uh, actually physically make yourself a eunuch. Um, ex I think it could be either way. <clears throat> All right, so Adrian Rogers wrote something pretty clever in his uh, Bible here, and I want to read to you. And it says, A marriage made in heaven. So listen to this. Adrian Rogers wrote this. How do you keep love alive? It's tragic that we see so many throwaway marriages today. A, a couple gets married as an ideal. The ideal turns into an ordeal, and then they look around for a new deal. Friend, if you want to enjoy true joy as husband and wife, then you must understand that marriage is made by heaven. Yes, it can be married, uh, or well, it can be marred by hell. But with God's help, marriage is always marked by hope. It all begins with God's plan. Jesus said, Have you not read, A man shall leave his mother? So remember the word leave. He shall leave his mother, I mean, his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage didn't come from cultural innovation or from the primordial ooze of evolution. Marriage is made by heaven. In that verse, God gave us a guide to marriage in three words. Leave and cleave... <clears throat> Leave and cleave. To leave speaks of the priority of marriage. It says that the task of parents is to get their children ready to leave the nest and find a Christian spouse. Mate to mate is a stronger commitment than children to parents and parents to children. And cleave, or be joined, speaks of the permanence of marriage. Cleave means to weld or to glue. 
When you get married, it is a lifetime contract, not an optional one. Show me two young people who consider divorce as an option, and I'll show you a family that has a great potential for disintegration. Show me people who don't consider divorce as an option, and I'll show you a family that will hang together and stay together. When Jesus said we are to become one flesh, he told us the <clears throat> purpose of marriage. He was talking about more than sexual union. When you get married, you marry a whole person, body, soul, and spirit. You are no longer two individuals but one flesh. God's arithmetic is one plus one equals one. Marriage is a romance in which both the hero and the heroine die in the first chapter and a new person comes into being. So that's his little write-up on uh, marriage. Leave and cleave and become one. All right, now back to Deuteronomy. You know, the uh, attack on, the, on God made marriage, heaven made marriage, the attack on it from the evil side has been around for a good while now. And we have seen it. Now, that leads, when you break down the family and break up the family, you see all the other bad things that come along with that. So it goes, it goes in stages, and things get worse and worse and worse. But the attack on what God put together at the very beginning of our Bibles, the attack to mess that up. I mean, you don't get far at all in your Bible. You open up your Bible, you start reading, and then the devil's there to break it up. Right there, chapter 3. Verse 5 of chapter 19, I mean chapter 24 of Deuteronomy. When a man hath taken a new wife, now this is going back to a young couple get married, okay? When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. So if you got married and you were about ready to be shipped off to war, like, oh, you can't go. You've got to be with your wife for at least one year. Why one year? It says, it says so he can cheer up his wife. Well, after one year, he's not going to be cheering her up anymore. So then you go off to war, do whatever you want to do. Now, she was supposed to cheer him up too. We, we, we have to realize that it, it's, it's, uh, both, both have responsibility. So the very beginning of a relationship is extremely important because you're getting to know each other and you're building that relationship and it, that one year is extremely important and we should take notice of that. So that one verse, so the first four verses go together and then verse five is by, pretty much by itself and then verse six change into a different subject. No man shall take the nether which is the lower, the one below, or the upper millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life to pledge. Does that make sense? Don't make sense? Okay, now, somebody owes you something, or let's say somebody, to, let's say today, someone breaks a law 
and they are fined for it, and they have to come up with the money. Let's say they don't have the money to pay it. All right, let's say somebody accidentally destroys your car. Their car uh, rolls out of the driveway and goes across the street and demolishes your car. Now, they owe you a car, but they have no way to pay it. Um, so the millstones is how you would take the grain that you would grow and actually produce the, the product to make bread to feed your family. So, so that person that destroyed your car, you say, all right then, well, you have to give me your car. You destroyed mine, you owe me your car. Now, they have no way to go and uh, go to work, so now you've destroyed everything. So you've got to figure out the best way to do this. They need, you need to get something different from them so that you can accumulate enough to, get to, to fix your, th your thing. Here, here's another example, okay? I, when I started going to teach Bible study at the jail many years ago, there was a bunch of guys that were locked up because they uh, divorced, there were children involved, and they had to pay a certain amount of money for child support for each kid, and then alimony and all this stuff. And the amounts that the judges come up with in the court are outrageous. So they would work as hard as they could to try to come up with this money and it would get to the point where they just couldn't keep up. And so, so what the court system did, one of the stupidest things you could ever do, in my opinion, is they were figuring out ways to penalize these guys for not paying all of their child support. And one of the ways they were going to penalize them is to take their driving privileges away so they take their license away. And I'm, I'm thinking, why in the world would you do that? They need to go to work. Why would you, who, what, and this is my opinion, what idiot in the court system came up with that great idea? So when that happened, they lost all hope and they paid nothing. So now the kids were getting zero, the, the ex-wife was getting zero because of that law of punishment. So they took the millstone away the way, the, the way he had to actually go to work and make money to try to at least keep up with it. Now it's all gone. He, it, to him, life is, his, his life is ruined, and he might as well go to jail because he can't, he can't do anything now. So it was way better to go to jail. So now no one's getting anything, and he's getting taken care of at jail by taxpayer money. So... That's what this is talking about. If somebody owes you something, don't go after things that provide a living for him. Don't do that. Seven. So that made more sense, what that means now? Okay, seven. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die and thou shalt put evil away from, from among you. So uh, this past Sunday evening, Joseph and I went to see Sound of Freedom. The movie Sound of Freedom. It is a movie about this verse right here. 
man-stealing is something that, you know, the Bi- people say, well, the Bible talks about slavery, and it was okay. So you go back into the 1800s and the 1700s here in America, you had a whole bunch of people who believed the Bible, and what did I warn you when we first started today? I said, don't pull out any particular scripture and then build something on it. All right, you had certain people who would take, see here, servants are supposed to do good work for their masters, blah, 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 see here, and they pulled out that scripture so that they can justify having slaves. Okay, so in Virginia, Jamestown, you know, down here it was okay to have slaves, but you go, go up to Massachusetts with the Puritans, and the colony up there, it, from the very beginning, absolutely no slaves because they read this verse where you're not supposed to do any man-stealing. Man-stealing was against God's word. And they had it in their little compact they did that you do not own other people. You don't do it. Now, if somebody wanted to be an indentured servant, that is different. They chose to do it. You didn't go out and steal them They cannot survive on their own, and they want to serve you, and they just want to be a slave to you so that they can live under shelter and be fed, and they're willing to work for it. That's way different. But what was happening was there was actual slave ships coming from Africa, and the people in Africa were stealing other tribes, their very own people, this says your brethren, if you go out and steal uh, any, any, uh, if a man be found stealing any of his brethren, they were stealing their own, but they happened to be in a different tribe. Uh, In northern Africa, there were Muslims who were going up into Europe and stealing people. And the number one person, type of person that the Muslims went after were young white women because they brought a very good price. So when these Muslims would go up into these port cities, they would rush in and just cause all kinds of havoc, kill men, and they would steal the young girls and take them back and they could get really good money for uh, a young white woman. Slavery has been around forever. Man-stealing is evil. So that movie, Sound of Freedom, is about stealing kids so that you can sell them. And the most, for the most part, well, the movie was about the uh, sex trafficking. And, uh, yeah, I definitely need to see that movie. It is a very sad thing. All right, so getting back to the colonies here in America. People, people, if you listen to just your average news, they're going to talk about how everybody in this country was slave owners and they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. That is such a lie. There was plenty of founding fathers, especially the ones from up north, that, that did not want anything to do with slavery and wanted to abolish it from the beginning. That is fact, but you will not hear it unless you dig into the history of this country for yourself. There was slave boats that got blown into Massachusetts by storm, and that colony up there arrested the people on the boats, took care of all the slaves, 
until they could hire new people to get on the boats to take them back to Africa. See, that's real American history that they will not teach in the public school system. They won't do it. <clears throat> Number eight, verse eight, take heed. Now we're on a different subject. See how, how fast it's changing from one verse to the next? It's just a different subject. Take heed in the plague of leprosy that thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priest, the Levite, shall teach you as I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. All right, this is a plague of leprosy. Why doesn't it say run to the doctor? It, you go to the priest? Wonder why? Now, now the next verse is going to give us a hint. Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam, by the way, after that ye were come forth out of Egypt. What happened in that story? Miriam was struck with leprosy. Does anybody know why? Anybody want to answer? You know why she was struck with leprosy? It was a punishment from God, right? So... And she, she, spoke, she, she spoke bad against Moses. She went against Moses. All right? So this is, a, this is a spiritual issue. This is, you remember what happened to Korah and all the people he got to follow him and the earth opened up and swallowed them in? They were speaking against God's uh, leaders, the people... The people that God put in a leadership role to lead them out, and they spoke evil against them, spoke, com they complained about them, and Miriam ended up doing the same thing. And so when you see leprosy in the Bible, it is a, it's a type, it's a picture. And it's a picture of sin, for one, that we're all infected with, and why do we have that sin in, in us? It just comes naturally for one. You know, we're fallen men and women. And then we, to satisfy the flesh, we do things for selfish desires, and that's sin. So leprosy is a type and picture of sin, but it's also what comes on us when we don't follow God's ways. And he gave people leprosy. Remember... Uh, now, Naaman, that, that, that whole story in, is it 2 Kings chapter 5? The story of Naaman, the little girl, one of my favorite people in the Bible, the little girl. And Naaman is a Syrian, and he has leprosy. Now, that is a picture of sin, and a Gentile, like us, have sin. And we need to go to somebody to take care of that sin issue, and Elisha represents uh, Jesus. Elijah is really the representation of Jesus, but Elisha is his understudy, which we are supposed to be the understudy of Jesus. So we, as, as a born-again Christian, we line up with Elisha, followers of Jesus. And when people have sin in their lives and they come to us, we tell them, about the person who can take care of that sin. So we're like Elisha. Okay? 
At the end of that story, Jehazi, is that his name? Jehazi? He, he was the servant of Elisha. Now, he was selfish and he wanted some of that money. Elisha said, I don't want any of the money. So, after they left, going back to Syria, Jehazi sneaks out and follows them and says, you know what, my master, he has second thoughts. Yeah, maybe we should have a little bit of that money. And when he gets back, the leprosy that left Naaman is now on Jehazi and his descendants forever. So it's a punishment for misrepresenting the true word of God for selfish reasons, whatever. It's a very dangerous thing to do, to use the word of God for selfish gains. And we need to be careful. I mean, you know, I'm guilty of speaking out against certain people that are, that are they say they're called of God, and I see them do things that would be more like a false teacher, and I, and I'm, and I, and I try to not speak out their name, but sometimes you have to. Sometimes you've got to call them out, but I understand the danger of coming up against a person who has been placed. I mean, you, you know that there have been times in the past where I could have said things, you know, here at this place with former pastors, you know, and, and I was scared, scared to do it. You know, Paul had, I mean, uh, King David had every right to say things against Saul, King Saul. He even, you, would, you could say by reading what was happening to King David, that he, had, uh, he would have been justified in killing King Saul and had opportunity to do it. And he said, I'm not touching God's anointed. So we've got to be careful of trying to bring down somebody that God has put in a certain place. We've got to be careful about that, very careful. Now, don't hang around and let them kill you. David took off. Sometimes you just got to leave. Uh, Elijah, you know, King Ahab, Jezebel, you know, he left. He, he just, he left. He, he ran away. Sometimes you got to know when to run. <clears throat> okay, uh, where were we at? Okay, that was nine. You know, when, I, when, I'm, when I was studying for this, chapter 24, I'm thinking, we're going to be done so quick. I might have to get into 25. And I'm not even halfway through 24. But we did get a late start, so we're, it's, we really haven't gone that long. But still, we're nowhere close to where I thought we would. Verse 10 says, When thou doest lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Now, remember... A man's house is his castle. It doesn't matter how poor he is. If it's a cardboard box that he's living in, that's his castle. Don't go into his castle to fetch something he might owe you. You stand outside of that and you ask him to bring it to you. Don't go into another person's dwelling place. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou, do, thou doest lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. 
And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. You've got to keep reading to figure this out, okay? Sounds funny. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down. Like, what? That he may sleep in his own raiment. Okay, there it is. So, this person's poor, and the only thing he may have, uh, you ever heard the expression, he'll give you the shirt off his back, okay? That's probably what it's talking about right here, you know, something like that. So, only thing he has is what he... See, back in that day, what you put on to go to sleep at night would have been very important. Not so much today. We, this doesn't register with us today. <clears throat> we have heating and cooling. We have, uh, you know, different, all kinds of different uh, pajamas <laughs> that different people like. All right? Now, back then, it would have been very important that for them to get a good night's sleep and possibly protect them from cold or critters or who knows what. But you don't, just don't take those basic needs from people. Yeah, they owe you something. You lend, you, you gave them something. You let them borrow something. They can't repay you yet but don't go take things that they need, the necessities of life. That he may sleep in his own raiment and bless thee, and it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God. So we need to be thinking of others, and then God, God is going to bless us for doing the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is denying what is really deserved to you because you're, you care more about others than getting what you, what you deserve. 14, thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. So now it's talking about uh, people that you may hire to help you out on your property, for whatever, you know, in your business. Now, if, if it's a poor person, don't oppress them. Don't take advantage of them because they're desperate for, you know, a, a job. They're desperate to make some money and don't use that as a way to be mean to them and to possibly make them do way more than you would somebody else because you know how desperate they are or put them on the really bad job, or the very dangerous job, because you know they're desperate. At his day, thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it. Lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. Now, if he, if he didn't complain about it, to God, then it wouldn't be sin. But if he does go to God and complain about it, all of a sudden it's sin. So what it's saying is, this person has, you've hired them, they're poor. They are, they need the money that they have earned now, not a week from now. Now, there are others that you hire, and you, you say, all right, you're going to work this many days, and then after you've completed this, then we'll pay you. And everybody's good with it. But this is talking about people who, they need the money really bad. And, and I, now I know people, 
that, that I've done work for in the past where they cannot stand it if you don't take the money as soon as you're done with whatever you're doing for them. they got to pay you. A lot of them may have this in their mind. <clears throat> they just cannot stand the thoughts of you not getting paid right away. And that might be in their mind, this very verse right here. All right, so let's go ahead and we'll stop there. And uh, we'll pick up on the rest of this next week. So, again, this is just different regulations, different instructions, and things that uh, we can still learn from today, right? All of this stuff, it still means something today. These were very good ways to live and to be back then, and all of this is still good for so Deuteronomy is a, uh, I think it is a good book to study, and I'm happy that we're going through it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, I just pray that we would just be hungry for it, that we, each one of us, would want to get into your word, no matter what other things might be trying to pull us away, that we understand that your word is so much more important and that we will put that at the top of our list. And Father, help us to understand that we need the leading of the Holy Spirit to see your word, so that we can, that we can just see the big picture, that we can put these puzzle pieces together and rightly divide your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these people who are here tonight. Um, bless them. You know, there's so many people here that do things here that that uh, just part of the ministry of getting the word out and for us to be a place for people to come. And Father, I just ask that you would bless each and every one. And Father, help us to speak to those that we come in contact with on a day-to-day basis. You know, just be your children as we are out in this world and that we would be salt and light. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.